You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Broncos Audio Zone. I'm Phil Milani, joined as always by my sidekick, Eric Dalala. Eric, instead of doing our normal podcast, The Neutral Zone, now, uh, we have something different in store. Yeah, so we're excited to introduce Broncos Country Throwback, which is going to be hosted by Jim Sakamano, the Broncos' longtime head of PR for nearly, nearly four decades. Uh, Jim, thanks so much for hosting this podcast, and maybe you could give people a little bit of a clue here of what you're looking to learn from some of the Broncos' most prominent alums. Well, one of the things I would always say, Eric, is everybody has a story. And sometimes we don't know all the aspects of those stories. We only know a guy for what he did on the field and maybe for all the honors that he had and the excitement that he gave us. But we don't know the backstory. And uh, I think what we're hoping to do on Broncos Country Throwback is look at some of the all-time greats and near greats and legendary guys and uh, find out a little more about their backstory and things that kind of make fans say, wow, I didn't know that. And with that, Jim, let's get to your very first interview a Broncos Ring of Famer, Carl Mecklenburg. Hi, Carl. Jim Sacamano. Hey, Jim. Great to talk to you, Carl. Um, you know, I've told many people over the years that watching you play and watching your greatness, and it is greatness, is just the tip of the iceberg of the kind of person you are. And... Um, I hope to uh, be asking some questions and getting some answers that uh, give people a little insight into some of that, Carl. Well, I appreciate uh, you, that, Jim. Uh, Carl, one of the focuses right now is we're talking about the draft. The draft is coming up, and we're talking about the draft day experience of guys. But if you would tell me, you know, your father was a physician and your mother very successful and when did you start to think that you might be a football player when you're in high school? You know, yeah, at yeah. that point, you probably weren't <laughs> thinking of the NFL, but no. you were building toward that. What were your thoughts, Carl, as, as you were a young man in high school and then, of course, in college? You know, Jim, I was, uh, I was a JV player as a junior in high school. I didn't even make the varsity team. I loved the game. always did love the game. Um, I grew late. Uh, and, and I think that was part of the deal. And part of the deal was just we had moved. Um, I was in a in a uh, city that really brought kids up through their programs, so they didn't know me. Um, but my senior year, things worked out. My senior year, I was both at All-State as a tight end and a defensive end. I was only 6 feet tall and 200 pounds, though. I grew 3 inches and 40 pounds my first year of college. So it was too small to play major college football, so I went to Augustana College in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a little Division II school, on a one-third scholarship. Uh, I had been recruited by the University of Minnesota, but they didn't have a scholarship for me, and that, that upset me. So I, went to, so I went to Augustana on a one-third scholarship. Uh, played there for two seasons. After the second season, I led the team in sacks. I played every down on defense. I thought I was going to get that full scholarship we talked about in my living room and uh coach came to me that uh that day we were, i went in for that debriefing session that every coach has at the end of the year and talk about what happened last year and what to expect next year i'm in there he's talking to me uh about it 
Um, the first thing out of his mouth was, Carl, we know your dad's a doctor. He can afford this school. We're going to take away your one-third scholarship and use it to bring someone else in. Nice. Yeah, that, that was a that was a real surprise. I was expecting uh, I was expecting the full ride, and and that changed. So I left, and I I walked down at Minnesota, the guy that had recruited me, and then uh, uh, decided not to give me a scholarship. Had left. There was somebody else there, so I walked down at Minnesota and earned a scholarship there. Um, was as as everybody uh, knows now, as a twelfth round draft choice. I was the three hundred and tenth pick of the draft. Um, yeah, what but, were your thoughts, Carl? You know, you're going into the NFL draft, and you were from a successful family, and you were going to have personal success no matter what. But as far as the NFL is concerned, everybody has an ego, and everybody has a right to have goals and desires. What were your thoughts going in, and how did that day develop? You know, uh, it was two days. Um, I was... Uh, I was thinking I was going to end up in Atlanta. Atlanta's scouts had come through, um, had had uh, measured me and timed me and done some stuff. But apparently, uh, a uh, a scout had come through for the com- the combine scouts and, and measured me at six one, and I was six four. And I have no idea how that happened, but but that took me off a lot of people's pages. Um, my junior year, uh, my first year of eligibility at the University of Minnesota, uh, I led the Big Ten in sacks tied with Andre Tippett, uh, who's a Hall of Fame linebacker for New England. But anyway, uh, I was tied for the Big Ten lead in sacks. I only played about half the downs. Um, so I knew I could rush the passer, and I had a coach at that time who uh, who uh, had a cup of coffee with the with the Raiders, and uh, he he told me, you know, if if you can if you can rush the passer, uh, they'll find a place for you in the NFL. And that was really the first time I thought about playing in the NFL. Uh, my senior year, we were so bad, we lost every game. I think we were three and eight. Um, we were so we had just moved into the Metrodome, and everybody got hurt. Uh, we we had a bunch of guys injured, and we didn't have a lot of depth on that team. Um, so, uh, we lost by so much. I never got to rush the passer when you're ahead. You don't, you don't pass the ball. So, sure. so I didn't, I didn't have any stats as a senior. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, you know, I've got, I've got a, an agent, uh, that Atlanta had said if I was available in the seventh round or later, they'd pick me, um, their first two. And we have draft- to remind fans at that time, it's a 12 round, it's a 12 round draft over two days. Right. Right. Yeah, so so um Atlanta's first two draft picks are uh, are defensive linemen. So they were done with defensive linemen. So and I didn't know there was no ESPN, there was no way to keep track of the draft. Uh there was no big uh Faldera like there is now. I mean, I've been, I've been to the last two drafts and man, there's it's it's amazing. It's almost like going to the Super Bowl. There's so many fans and so many things going on. Yeah, you um, know who announced the draft picks in Denver, Carl? Who's that? I did. Nice. <laughs> I'm in the draft room. We pick a guy. I run down to the media room, and I say, in the fifth round, the Broncos have taken so-and-so, and I'll see if the coach can come down and talk to you about him or if he's too busy. Then I right. go back upstairs, and the coach usually yells at me and, uh, and moves on <laughs> to the next round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was completely different than it, than it's been. I think it's going to be like that again this year. You know, it'll be – it'll A be, little uh, bit. Yeah, it'll it'll be closed doors. So when the phone rang, what did you think? When did you get an inkling to be the Broncos, Carl? You know, I didn't know. Uh, the Broncos did send two different scouts to scout me. 
each of them ran me through the various uh, physical and mental tests and interviewed people. And one of them even interviewed Kathy, my wife, my girlfriend at the time. Um, I mean, they, they were looking at me. There was no question about that, but they didn't give me any, any, any indication that they were going to draft me. Um, in retrospect, uh, because they picked Chris Hinton first uh, that year um, and then ended up trading him for, for Elway, uh, I had a real good game against Chris. I got two sacks and, uh, you know, pretty much ate him up all day long. And I guess they figured if he's still around in the 12th round, maybe we should take a flyer on mm-hmm. this guy. Um, but it was uh, it was midnight the second day. I had already gone to bed. Kathy was over. Uh, she was going to fix me a congratulatory margarita or something. But instead it was, a man, this stinks, margarita. Uh, my agent at the time had said, <laughs> My agent at the time had said uh, uh, that even if I didn't get drafted, uh, there'd be calls that night. Uh, there was a number of teams that were interested in signing me as a free agent if I wasn't drafted. So anyway, I, I, I went to bed. Uh, phone call, phone rang at midnight. Uh, it was Jenny Ann. It, it wasn't any of the coaches. Jenny Ann it, Terry, wonderful it was, lady. It was Jenny Ann, the Broncos secretary. Um, and she said, hey, you know, we're going to mail you an airline ticket. Uh, uh, we'd like you to come to the Greeley, and and uh, if that's what you want to do, come come uh, try to make the team. And so yeah, it was, uh, and and I just needed the chance. I I just mm-hmm. wanted a chance, and that that was a weird time in the Bron- in Broncos history. That was uh, Edgar Kaiser was getting ready to sell the team. Uh, he he brought in uh, Hein Polis uh, to cut salary. Um, uh, we we had 13 rookies make it that year. Rookies are cheap, right? So, yeah, especially yeah. 12th round rookies were real cheap. So so I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, I got an opportunity and uh, and took advantage of it. You sure did. If if I could uh, intersperse, Carl, uh, when we brought in all the rookies to meet the press, and we brought them, we flew them all in, and you might remember in the old theater, if you will. You guys were all in the theater, and I had all the media in the theater. And they were going around from guy to guy. They had already done the big thing with John, so John was not in there. But um, they'd done two big things with John. But um, – or, or, excuse me, this was before we – this was, was when we had John, a, Chris yeah. Hinton. Before John, excuse me. Yeah. Anyway, but I got them all in the theater. And I'm watching, watching, watching. And you try to be a nice guy. And one thing I noticed was nobody spoke to you. You were sitting, like, almost in the back row alone. And finally, I asked John Mossman of the Associated Press if he would do me a favor and take his notepad and just go to that guy and just pretend like he's asking you a couple of questions, Carl, just so you wouldn't feel left out of the process. Well, that's nice. And, <laughs> yeah, John Mossman did that. Uh, and then, though, I remember we jumped to training camp, and Carl – you know, I don't know how good you were with agility drills or anything like that, but when they put you on the field with players, J- Dan Reeves was trying to put his offense in, and so he had Joe Collier put like his third string or worse defense out there, and you were on it. So Dan's got his offense against like our worst defense to put his plays in. Sure. If, you, if Carl, you remember, you, Jim, I had, I had the same number as a starter. That's not a good sign when you go to training camp. With no, same, no. But, but Carl, eventually Dan had to stop the whole thing 
and Carl and called Joe over and said, God darn it, Joe, would you do something about that kid? I'm trying to put my offense in, and every single play he gets the quarterback. It's like a like a like tag you're it, ha ha ha. Tag you're it, ha ha ha. And he said, God darn it, what are you gonna do about that Mecklenburg? And I thought to myself, Maybe I don't know a lot, but I know when a guy gets the quarterback on every single play, he's gonna make the football team. And I told one of the writers there are two certainties here. John Elway's gonna make it and Carl Mecklenburg's gonna make it. Well Dan Dan uh Dan had a soft spot in his heart for for uh, underdogs too. I mean, he was always going to keep at least one super late round or uh, a free agent mm-hmm. guy, um, just because he saw effort and saw kind of a reflection of his own his own uh, career, you know, in that guy. Um, and like I said, uh, right place at the right time. Um, Joe Collier was unbelievable uh, with his. Um, approach to, to to defense. I mean, he would he would identify skills and abilities in people that they had no idea that they had. I mean, you had you had guys playing in, in completely different positions all the time uh, in our defense based on what Joe was able to to see, you know, in the practice field or whatever, and say, you know what, this guy could would be better over here. Let's let's try him over there. And a lot of coaches won't do that. Now, when you got drafted, was it Jenny Ann who placed the call to you, or did one of our coaches? No, it was Jenny Ann. I think they'd already gone home. They said, Jenny Ann, you pick this one. (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) Quite frankly, Carl, at that point, I remember that after two days of up and down the stairs, because I'm making the announcement, so every time three or four picks were made by any team, I'm making the announcement. So I'd been up and down. I had to hoist myself. After a while, like poor Earl Leggett, the late Earl Leggett, I couldn't get up the stairs without pulling myself up by the rail. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a, it was a different environment. You couldn't keep track of the draft from from uh, you know Minneapolis. I had no idea what was going on in Denver. Um, just waiting for the phone to call. No yeah. cell phone, so you got to sit around <laughs> next no, to your no, phone. No, no, not at all. It's hard for somebody now to to realize this. I also remember Carl in your career. I remember so many things, and if I can just share a couple. When you were the player rep, and we had the strike in 87, and there was no chance that you guys were going to keep up with the NFL PR machine, that there was no chance of that. So you guys got sure. whacked silly and so forth. But um, I remember when, when we opened up the facility again, and everybody could come in, the strike was over, and I was in the press trailer. I was standing on the, like on the steps of the press trailer, and uh, all you guys came in the locker room, and I remember you came out the locker room door, walked across the field to where I was, and I thought, wow, I wonder what what Carl's got to say. Maybe he's upset, you know, because we were on different different stances and so forth. And you came and you said, Jim, I want to apologize for all the difficulties and for any difficulties that I caused you over the past few weeks, which you were just doing your job. It was... But you had so much class, so much elegance, Carl. It's difficult to put into words, really. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I probably wanted to power rush you, but... (laughs) Maybe so. Do you remember anything about your post-game routine relative to the media? Yeah. Because I I can describe it. Yeah. You kept your pants on. 
I did keep my pants on. <laughs> you never took. You never. You sat at your locker. You took off your. Uh, you you exposed your upper upper body, showed all those muscles. But you took off your pads and your t-shirt and your jersey, and you simply sat at your locker and did all the interviews until everybody was pretty much gone. And then you'd say, "Well, is that about it, then, Jim?" Yeah, that's about it, Carl. Then you would undress and go take a shower and so forth. But you um, you sat at your locker till the last guy was gone. Well, uh, it was uh, I was pretty well worn out after those games, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Please, somebody else come over so I could just you sit know, here for a while. You know, while. Carla, we've mentioned this, but you've got two sons. Uh, I've got a son named uh, Jeff and a grandson named Lucas, whom we call oh, Lucas. Wow. And I believe you have got you and Kathy have a Jeff and a Luke, don't you? We do, yeah. We sure do. Yeah, Luke's a lawyer mm-hmm. here in town with Snell and Wilmer, and uh, Jeff's at Chapman University. He's a senior just finishing up. Well, that's great, boy. That's those big bucks, Chapman University. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, any a, grandkids yet? Uh, my daughter married into five, so uh, she married. Holy smokes. Yeah, she married into instant five grandkids, and uh, we're, uh, yeah, we, we we've spent some time with them. They're out in Virginia. We see them every once in a while, but I mean, a couple of them are are adults. I mean, that, that it's. Uh, I think yeah, one of them's married, one of them's engaged. Uh, so yeah, sure. we're yeah we're going to be great grandparents here pretty quick, I think. So. Oh, oh my God, that's uh, craziness. Talk huh? about making somebody look uh, look older, but uh, <laughs> but that's yeah, that's that's great, Carl. I mean, I, I think of all those memories and to think of where it started. I mean, which picture you you were like the the three hundred? You were not Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, three three hundred and ten. That's twenty guys away from Mister Irrelevant. So yeah, I didn't get a I didn't get a parade or a car or anything. No. <laughs> I just got a. Every I time we would play the Minnesota Greeley. Vikings, <laughs> every time we play the Vikings, and I advance of going to Minnesota, the Minnesota the oh the Vikings coaches hated it because the local press would say, "How the heck come you guys? How do you let Mecklenburg get away?" And, sure. and it's in the papers. They say, "God darn it! If we knew, we'd have taken him." Doggone, a lot of people passed on him. If we'd have known he was this good and it was going to be like this, we'd have taken him, doggone it. Right. I played in the same stadium they played in. I, I, oh, I yeah. Up, I grew up a Viking fan, but I got over it when they yeah, passed they, on me 12 the times. Yeah, pointed that out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh. um, so Carl, you're doing a lot of uh, – you still do a lot of motivational speaking now? Yeah, that's what I do for a living. I've, I've been doing it for longer than I played pro football. I, I do, uh, except this year, I do about 40 keynotes a year uh, all around the country. Uh, just finishing up my taxes. I, I paid taxes in 18 states this year. So I'm, wow. I'm, all over the, I'm all over the place running around uh, giving keynote speeches. I talk about universal keys to success that I, that I learned in the NFL. Uh, teamwork with leadership being the ultimate expression of teamwork. Courage, uh, the courage to try new things and the courage to be decisive, which really was the key to my career, uh, being, being decisive, taking the first step. I found out early on that if I could take the first step in the right direction before anybody else did, all the angles would change in my favor and I could make a play. Uh, and you only do that through preparation. Um, and I went into every situation prepared and allowing myself to be to be decisive. Uh, dedication, which I describe as hard work, constant learning, refusing to quit. Desire, that's the dream, the passion, the mission. 
uh, honesty and forgiveness with yourself and self-evaluation and with others, and finally goal setting, reasonable, short-term, specific steps to get you to that desire, that passion, that mission. Uh, everything's tailored for the for the organization that I'm speaking for. Uh, I, I talk to them ahead of time, get uh, get the skinny on what their challenges are and, and what their uh, successes have been that year and, and, and how I can help them. Uh, I really look at my and my job as uh, trying to uh, to help the meeting professional put on a memorable event. So it's not only uh, a keynote speech, but it's also you know autographs and photographs and going to the uh, pre-conference dinner and doing doing whatever I can to help uh, make it a memorable event. Planning their golf tournament, whatever, whatever they need. So uh, mm-hmm. and, and and I enjoy it. I, the thing I miss most from professional football, Jim, is the adrenaline. Uh, it's really hard to replicate that excitement, that adrenaline. But you get up in front of a group of, uh, you know, 500, 1,000 people, you get that adrenaline. <laughs> Try to remember what yeah. you meant to say. <laughs> that adrenaline will come. So, yeah. so I, I, re- I really, uh, I really love that part of the of the job. Um, at this point, uh, you know, obviously, uh, I, I'm doing some online stuff, doing some um, Zoom meetings and that type of thing. Uh, hopefully, we'll get back to the face-to-face stuff soon. Sure, we will. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's a long way from being number three ten in the draft. It's uh, it, it's it's a part of a life, and it's a part of a of the whole process. Uh, and it just shows you it's what you do with the opportunity. It's what anybody does with the opportunity that uh, that helps create the final uh, result. Sure, uh, and and you. Uh... I mean, I, I think about the this stuff with the with with the with the virus right now, and and uh, you know, I'm in a situation where I can't I can't go out, I can't leave, I can't. There, I, I'm 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 left here with no no chance to make any money or or do what I do for a living, and and I for for a while for for a couple of days I'm thinking I've never seen anything like this, but truthfully. Jim, I've had 18 football-related surgeries, probably 10 of them during my career um, with the Broncos. And, and every single time you get that off-season surgery, everybody else is getting ready for the season, and there you are in the training room trying to try, just trying to walk on crutches, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know what's going to happen. You, you don't know what the next step is. But, but I've found uh, that if I controlled what I could control um, – Things worked out, so I was the the model uh, rehab patient. I I, I worked on leadership uh, with the other guys in the training room and the guys in the locker room, and and made connections that way. I I did whatever I could uh, as a as an injured player at that time to to get ready for the next year, and that's what I'm doing now with this with this COVID thing, and that's what I would advise other people to do. There's yes, there's things you can't do. Yes, there's there's limitations, mm-hmm. but there's things you can do, uh, and and take advantage of this time. I've got a couple of books out. I've, my last book uh, is called Heart of a Student Athlete. Um, it's uh, it's on my website, uh, carlmecklenburg.com, and and I've been thinking about writing another book. So that's one of the things I'm doing in in this downtime. I'm working on my next book, and and I'm excited about that. So there's. There's things you can do, uh, even if you can't do what you normally do. There, there are things you can do. Take advantage of this time. Well, you know what? You haven't changed very much since your rookie year. You well, were a guy who took that. advantage of every opportunity, and uh, and you know, it, it's I can think of so many stories. I just one more quick one. If 
once upon a time you were on the IR. Didn't happen very often, but you couldn't play. You were hurt. Uh, or maybe you weren't on the official injured list, but you could not play. And I said, like, well, I'll see you Sunday, Carl. I said, oh, I don't know if I'll be there or not. And I said, you mean you might not come to the game? And you said, nah, Jim, I'm not much of a football watcher. I'm a football player. <laughs> and anybody who watched you play would agree with that assessment. You were a football player, Carl, and uh, it's been an honor to have you on uh, Broncos Country Throwback. Well, I appreciate that, Jim. Uh, you take care and good luck with your uh, with your new podcast. It, it, I'm, I'm excited to listen. Thanks. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking to you down the road. Take care, number 77. Take care, Jim. That was Jim Sakamano's conversation with Broncos Ring of Famer Carl Mecklenburg. Still a really cool conversation there about Carl's draft process, how he went through his collegiate career. There's a lot of stuff that I had personally never heard of before. So a really awesome thing to listen to. And Phil, where can fans find either more episodes of Broncos Country Throwback or the neutral zone. Yeah, you can find uh, our new podcast, Broncos Country Throwback, anywhere that you currently find the neutral zone. So that's on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or even on Spotify now. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled for the new podcast that we have. And uh, we'll have a few more episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks before the draft and then hope to continue this throughout the rest of the year. So Thank you for listening to the first ever Broncos Country Throwback.